I've got a question for you that I think deserves our attention today, and that is this. What's it going to take for 2016 to be a great year? What do you think? What's it going to take for us to look back when we get to the end and see that something substantive happened in my heart and in your heart? Something substantive took place within the body of Christ here in our church. Anybody want that besides me? And and how about that we were effective at fulfilling the mission that God has given us? You guys know what our mission is? We expect to connect here to God. I pray it's the greatest year you've ever had walking with God. We expect to connect with each other. And I pray that we learn to do life deeply here. But where else do we expect to connect? To the community. And to the world at large. And that's one of the reasons that it is called good news. So uh, who wants to get to the end of the year and look back and say, wow. I'm the only one. And I know some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, oh, that's lofty. And I want to say, you better believe it's lofty. God is lofty. Aim high and what? Reach the sky. Aim low and what? There you'll go every single time. I'm being serious. And here's what I know. I don't want to get to the end of this year and say it's just like every other year. I don't want that. I don't want to keep status quo. I don't want to just do what I've always done because you'll get what you've always gotten. I happen to believe God has more. Anybody else? That's his name, friends. That is his nature. So, so today I want to do my part and our part in helping set the stage for a visit from God this year. That sounds good, doesn't it? And the vehicle that we're going to ask God to use is 40 days of community. It starts next week, though. It doesn't start today. Here's what I know. The prophet Jeremiah, when the children of Israel, when the Babylonian captivity spoke the words of God, and God said, I know the plans that I have for every one of you, and they're what? They're good. They are great, I promise you, friends. They are more than what you have experienced. And I want to get to the end of this year. I want to say what the Apostle Paul said when he got to the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4. He said, I ran the race. I did what God set in front of me. I finished the course. I kept the faith. And there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness now. And not only to me, but who else? Everybody else who loved and who longed. For his appearing. Use your imagination with me. Imagine the Queen of England is going to come and visit. She wants to see what life is like in an American family, especially Christians. And she chooses your home. Now, how many of you are going to prepare for that visit? How many of you are going to clean a little bit deeper? How many of you are going to prepare a little bit harder, right? How many of you are going to cook the best things that you can possibly cook on your family menu? How many of you are going to put away the paper products and you're going to pull out the fine china and finally the moment arrives for the queen? Now, can you feel it? I want you to think this today. We're preparing for a visit. It's not the queen of England. Who is it? It's the king of kings and the lord of lords. It's God Almighty whose name is Emmanuel, which means what? I'm telling you, friends, God wants to visit us today. I believe that. I believe he wants this to be one of the better years that you've ever, ever experienced. 
and that I have experienced and that we have experienced together. So here's the question. What's it going to take for God to come? You believe he wants to come? It's his nature. What's it going to take for us to set the stage in our heart, in our home, in this church? To see something profound take place. Jesus said in John 14 and 3, the upper room discourse, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will what? I'll come back. I believe Jesus comes back everywhere he's welcomed. Everywhere the people are ready. So, welcome to 40 Days of Community. You excited? I am. We're going to connect to God. We're going to connect to each other. We're going to connect to the community. And we're going to do our part today in helping get ready for God to come. I believe God comes when the stage is set, when the table is prepared, and when the hearts are ready. And so today we're going to look out of Exodus chapter 19. It is a phenomenal story of God descending and God appearing and God showing up in the midst of his people. And the context is Exodus 18, obviously. Okay? They've come through the Red Sea. They're, they're on their way to the Promised Land. It's very interesting in Exodus 18. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, says, Moses, you need to get people, if we're going to get to the Promised Land, down into groups of increments of ten. Or you're never going to get there. In other words, you need to be in a small group. Isn't that great? You need to be doing life together, church. Forty days of community, not of a crowd. But you need to know some people that know you, that love you unconditionally, that know your stuff, and that can help you be the best version of you you can be, right? And that's what Exodus 19 is partly about. It's about God setting the stage. So here's, here's what we learn from Exodus chapter 19. The first thing is this. We're all in agreement. We want God to visit this year, right? Thank you. Here's what it's going to take. Five things that we get out of Exodus 19. Number one, look back and remember God's faithfulness. And remember that whatever he did in the past, he'll do it again. And he'll do it in a far greater fashion. Was God faithful to you in 2015? Yes. Yes. A million times. Yes. Let that motivate you. Let that move you and inspire you. And listen to the first four verses of Exodus 19. They're 60 days out of the Red Sea deliverance, okay? They're on their way to the promised land. He says, in the third month after the Israelites left Egypt. Egypt is a picture of sin and bondage for all of us. On the very day... They came to the desert Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob. This is what you're to tell the people. Now look at verse 4. This is so strong. And keep in mind what God has done. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. You saw what I did to sin and bondage. I destroyed it, friends, at the Red Sea. And I carried you, how? On eagle's wings. And I brought you where? What's God saying there? Here's what God is saying. I have been faithful to you. I brought you through the Red Sea when those Egyptians were breathing down your neck to put you back in bondage. And what did I do? I snuffed them out on your behalf. 
I took care of the greatest enemy that you will ever face. I carried you on my shoulders. I carried you on eagle's wings. Remember who God is. Remember what God has done. And remember this imagery. You know, what you may not know about eagles is that when an eagle wants the baby to learn how to fly, they've got to push them out of the nest. Did you know that? Because they're scared. And what you may not too is then that the mother will swoop down underneath the baby while the baby's trying to fly and do what? Carry the baby on eagle's wings. Isn't that great? Do you know God is saying that about you today? I was there every step of the way. I carried you. Anybody say yes besides me? Remember that. Think about that. Bank on that. What a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24 says, as you enter the new year, remember this, the one who calls you is what? And he will what? Wow. Wow. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 23 says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. New every morning. And then it says great is what? Your faithfulness, O Lord God. Friends, please remember who he is. Please remember today what he's done. You know, the fact that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west is a reminder of the faithfulness of Almighty God. It's always been that way, always will be that way. It'll never change. The fact that the earth orbits the sun every 24 hours at a 23-degree angle, did you know that? Keeps it from burning up, it keeps it from freezing up, and keeps it so that we thrive and not just survive. What a great picture of God's faithfulness to His people. But let me tell you, the greatest Greatest, greatest reminder of his faithfulness is right there. You with me? You remember what Paul said about that in Romans eight thirty two, When he said, having done this, having given you the Lord Jesus Christ, gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us what? Everything you'll ever need and then some. You guys thankful for the faithfulness of God as we go into this year? He can be counted on. He can be depended upon. What he wants to know is, can I count on you? When I think of the faithfulness of God, I I make it personal, man. I want you to make it personal. Before the sun goes down, I want you to please sit down and write in your journal or on paper where God has been faithful. And I promise you, your heart will well up with gratitude. I've told you every single Christmas, what 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 do I remember that happened 44 years ago in my life? Somebody invited me to a spiritual event. And I met Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And I look back and I think, God is so faithful. One, to have somebody invite me. Two, to have my heart ready to say yes. Three, to show me the good news of the gospel. I could quit being religious, have a personal relationship with Jesus. I could stop working and start worshiping. You think I did that? No, no, a million times no. God is faithful, friends. And we need to look back. And here's what I believe. I believe we're going to get to the end of this year. We're going to look back and say, wow, wow, wow. So if we want to see a visit of God, let's look back and remember that he is faithful. We want to experience a a, a visit from God. The second thing I believe this text tells us is look ahead and celebrate your future. And here's what I want you to know. God has an amazingly bright and promising future for all of us. 
Right after he tells them, I carried you on eagle's wings. I took your enemy out. The greatest enemy you will ever face. Look what he says in verse 5. And look what he says in verse 6. Now, if you fully obey me and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations on earth, you will be my what? Help me. Oh, my gosh. Me? Yes. You? Yes. And all the earth, all of the earth is mine. You will also be for me what a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you're to speak to the Israelites. Wow! Before they ever get there, he says, "You are my treasured possession." Let me say it again. Sixty sixty days ago, they were slaves. Sixty days ago, they had no name, they had no home, they were under the tyranny of of Egypt and Pharaoh. Now they are two million strong, and God says, you're my what? Treasured. Anybody have a hard time accepting that? Oh, not me. Yes, you. And you. And you. It's not because of what you did. It's because of what he's done. You are precious to me. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and his wonderful light. You know what the next verse says? Once you were not a people. Whoa. But now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. Oh, my gosh. You are his treasured possession. Can you accept that today? And so is every other person made in his image. You know, one of the things I did over the holidays, I went down to Knoxville last weekend, did the, did the wedding of my niece. Awesome. Awesome experience, Cynthia, my older brother's daughter. What you don't know is that she was a foster child. What you don't know is that she was born to an addicted mother. And my brother and his wife took her in when she was this big. And they raised her as their own, adopted her. I'll just tell you this, the complications of that kind of birth, that kind of DNA, whatever you want to call it, my little niece, Cynthia, had a hard time in life. I could say kind of slang, she's been to hell and back, and she put her family through that too. And this last weekend, she got married to an awesome man. And we did the wedding in the house, and when she walked up to the front, she wept. And she wept. And she wept like a baby. And the groom, awesome man, Shane, wept and wept and wept like a baby. My brother, giving his daughter away, wept and wept and wept like a baby. It was a cry fest. You know what Cynthia was weeping at? She was weeping at one that I have a family that loves me and took me out of out of the depths. And she knew it. And she was indebted. She was weeping over this man, Shane, godly man, loves me just like I am and loves me too much to leave me there. Isn't that great? And the world would have discarded me along, but the thing that really hit her, she's sitting there in that white, beautiful gown, is that i got a Savior who loves me. Isn't that awesome? And she knew that she knew that she knew. I'd have never done the wedding. She was the treasured possession of the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that sweet? It's you. It's you. I know you have a hard time believing this, but I want you to please hear me say, God loves you just the way you are. 
and way too much to leave you there. And it is absolutely unconditional. Now follow this. And he wants to get you into a community in order to see that. See, some things you don't get just on your own. You can start. And you can begin. But friends, we need to be in relationships with other believers. Substantive relationships. Significant relationships. Where you know and are known. Where you love and are loved. Intimately. Into the details of your life, even if they're not all that pretty. With me? That's why we want everybody in the church to get into a group of some kind and take this journey with us. I read about a woman who lost her wedding ring and she's like, oh, okay, I took it off when I took a bath. She runs up, looks at the that's not in the bathroom. Okay, I took it off when I did the dishes. It's not in the kitchen. And she's thinking, oh, my gosh, I set it right there on the counter, right where the trash is. It probably got knocked into the trash can. She looks and it's empty. Somebody took the trash out. She runs and tells her husband, oh, he said, I took the trash out a long time ago. She goes outside. Trash has been picked up. (laughs) She gets in the car. The trash man's up the street. She chases him down. She says, where's my trash? He said, ma'am, this is my second round. I started early this morning. I took your... Your load, and I dumped it at the city dump. You know what she did next, don't you? She went to the city dump. She asked the guy, where did this truck number dump its load? Right back over there with thousands and thousands and thousands of other trash bags. And she goes back to the area where she thinks, where they've told her that truck probably emptied its load. She goes through the scours, the trash. She finds a bag. It's from her house. She opens it up, and there in an empty can of refried beans is her wedding ring. Friends, even if your life is surrounded by garbage, you are the treasured possession of the Lord God Almighty. And so is every other single person that will never get it until they get around others who can help them get it. And that's one of the primary roles. He also says, not only are you my treasured possession, in verse 6, you're my chosen priests. Can I share with you this morning, priests? Priests have three things that are true about them. And the first one is this. Priests have direct access to God. As a child of God, you don't need a go-between on earth. You don't need somebody else to represent you. You've been represented. You get to go right into the presence of the Lord God Almighty. Woo! I can't help. That makes me excited. You don't need anybody else. Isn't that great? I said, isn't that great? It's amazing, isn't it? You know, when John Kennedy was president, he let his little kids, little toddlers, free access into the Oval Office. Now, put that in perspective. That little boy ran right by the security, right by the guards, all the way into the Oval Office and sat right down in the lap of the President of the United States. Isn't that great? You know, that's nothing compared to what you get to do. You get to go into the throne room of the God of the universe. You get to crawl up in his lap. And what do you get to call him? Anybody remember? Abba. Oh, my gosh. As a priest, you and I have direct access 
Ephesians 3.18, or excuse me, 3.12, it says, In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Another thing about priests is that priests represent God to other people. Please hear this. You are on assignment for God. And you're being called, and so am I, to do his bidding. And your marching orders are to share this with others. That's your sacred assignment. It's to experience the depth of the wonder of who God is and then hold it out to other people. And it's more important than anything. We're not only to share it here. Where else are we to share it, church? There. And I want to remind you, friends, that it is only together with all the saints, Ephesians 3.18, that we can even begin to get our arms around who God is and what he has for us. And now my assignment is not only to experience that, it's to share that. Can I tell you one of the things about I love, that I love about the physical location of this church is that it's a city on a hill. Everybody notice that? I love to drive up Blizzard Drive every day when I come to work. And I remember that verse that says, you are a city on a hill. And you are part of my priesthood and you are on assignment for me to let your light so shine that other people would see your good works and end up doing what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Wow, what a great responsibility. What a great privilege, what a great honor. And another thing about priests is they're dedicated to serving. And during this campaign, we're going to serve, friends. We're going to serve each other. We're going to go out and serve in the community. Why are we going to do that? Here's why. Because they don't care how much they know until they know what. That's why. Here's another reason. Good deeds create good will opens the door for what? Good news. But what did it start with? Good deeds. Do I have to work my way to God? No, it's already been done. Now I just get to worship. And part of that is service. Part of that is giving back. And we're going to do something big, all church, but we're going to also allow your group to do whatever you think God puts on your heart. And I need you to please come back tonight and we're going to go into more detail about what this emphasis and what this campaign looks like. If we want to see a visit from God, here's another thing. We need to look around and commit with the community. Hear that? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, the people, how many responded? All, and how did they respond? Together. Say that again. All and together. They said, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answers back to the Lord. Can I remind you today, we're more than a bunch of individual believers sitting on pews with a bunch of strangers. We're more than that. We are the family of God. We are the people of the Almighty, and we are a community. And all parts count, and all parts belong to all the others, and everyone is necessary and needed. And I'm going to say it again. God wants the whole church involved. And in Exodus 18, what kind of increments did they say get them into? Anybody remember? Ten. Because this is a crowd. This isn't a community. A community is where they know your name and your stuff, and they know the junk in your trunk, and they love you still. Amen? And it's where you're not doing life alone. You're doing it with the support and with the help of other people. Another thing we've got to do if we're going to see God visit is, number four, look inward and prepare yourself spiritually. This is huge. Come back tonight. We're going to have holy communion together as a body. 
And we're going to make sure that our heart is clean. We're going to make sure that our plates have been wiped. Listen to what 10, 11, and 12 says. And the Lord God said to Moses, before he ever came down and visited, go to the people and, and do what? Consecrate them. Wash them. Moses was a type of a Christ. Go to the people and cleanse them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Have them get rid of all the dirt and the filth that's in their life. The only way you can do that in New Testament is by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, church. And be ready on the third day because on that day, I love this, the Lord will come down on Sinai in the sight of... See, friends, God is coming. He's promising He'll come. If we'll look back and remember his faithfulness, if we'll look back ahead and remember the, the future, if we'll look around and, and, and understand the community, and if we'll look in and prepare ourselves. And tucked in those verses are three practical steps to help us get ready. And the first one is this. Set aside a time apart for God every single day. They all said we're in. They all said, and friends, they're people just like you. They had jobs, they had kids, they had responsibilities, but they said every single day we're going to set time aside for God. It's part of getting ready. When we worship in, in the end, I'm going to invite everybody to come up here and get a book. It's a daily devotional guide. It'll keep you on the journey with the rest of us. With me? I'm going to ask you first, you take one per family and... I think we're doing pretty well. We'll order more. Take as many as you need. Okay? Set time apart for God every day. Another, another thing is take a spiritual inventory, a reality check, an honest assessment of the most important relationship in life. And ask this as we begin this journey. Where am I with Jesus? There's no more important question in all of your life. Where am I with Jesus? How do I want to finish? And can I say this? Please hear me. Most of us have a tendency to overstate how we're doing. Don't we? Come on. Anybody like me? Prideful? Most of us have. Here's what I know that I know that I know. You've drifted further than you think. Truth is, we've had mission creep take place today. I believe that. You're doing the same thing you've always done. You've got to do something different, friends. And listen to what Revelation 3 and 14 says. 3 and 17, excuse me. It says, you say that I'm rich, that I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. Does that sound like anybody here today? But what's the honest appraisal of you? You do not realize you are what? Help me out. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's much more accurate, isn't it, if we're honest? It is. And so part of this inventory is looking inside. And then the third thing to get yourself ready is to pray diligently because God does everything through prayer. He does nothing without prayer. And there's nothing like prayer to activate the presence of God. How many of you will pray for this journey over the next days? I'd like for you to indicate. Come on. It's free. Doesn't cost you anything. Listen to what Deuteronomy 4 and 7 says. This is so strong. It says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we... Can you imagine 700 plus people, 800, praying regularly through this campaign? Focusing on the same truths, focusing on the same passages, reinforcing. Can I suggest a prayer that we might look at together as a church? Can I?
How about the one in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, when the Apostle Paul said this. I'm asking you, pray this over our church over the next days. I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may what? Pray that. Be specific. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power to us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength. Friends, pray that for our church. And what do you think God will do? And I believe he'll answer the prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17 and in the verses following. And then one more thing. Here's the fifth thing that we need to do to get ready for a visit from God. Look up and get ready for a God encounter. Can I tell you again in verse 11, God says what? I'm coming. I am coming. And I want you to look at what verse 17 and what verse 18 says. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because what? The Lord had descended on it. In the fire, the smoke built up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And here's what I want you to hear this. Not only was the mountain covered with smoke, but who else was covered? The people. And I want you to hear this. This might be the most important thing I say all morning, so please listen to this. It's a principle. The most life-altering encounters with God normally require us to leave the routine, the comfortable, and the familiar. Did you hear me? This is not normal. God has called them out. God has called them up. God has said, get yourself ready. Do something a little bit different. You know, we got young people at the Passion Conference right now who have set themselves apart to experience God. I promise you they will. It's different. It's not what they always do the way they've always done it when you're going to get what you've always gotten. And maybe this is a chance to break our routine and our tradition and what we're used to and dare, dare to believe something different might lead to something deeper. I could go on and on and on here about the times I've been willing to take a risk and step out and do what wasn't normal. And all the times God met me in the middle of that. I do wonder two things. I wonder if you think they smelled like smoke. And the answer is yes. And I wonder also, number two, did they carry the smell of smoke with them? The answer is. I wonder today if you smell like Jesus. And I wonder today if we're going to carry the fragrance of the aroma of Jesus with us everywhere we go. Isn't that what life's about, friends? Let me close with this. Forty years later, 40 years, fast forward. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10. People are getting ready to enter into the promised land. And Moses admonishes parents to tell the kids about the day back 40 years earlier that we just looked at where they had a theophany, and they encountered the living God. And follow me. It was a defining moment in their life. And look what Moses said. Remember the day you stood before the Lord at Horeb, 40 years ago. That's where we've been focused on today. When he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words, so they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to 
their children. In other words, it was a defining moment in the history of God's people that they wanted to make sure that their kids got. So here's what I want to know today, and we're going to, we're going to finish right here. Do you think years from now we'll look back and we'll sit down with our kids and our grandkids and we'll talk about the incredible defining experience that we call 40 days of communion? What do you think? So here's my invitation today. Will you come with us?